Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Roger, it's Brian. Look, I know this sounds a little far-fetched, but I want you to meet me every night between October the 21st to December the 18th at 7.30pm at a place called the Menier Chocolate Factory in London Bridge. Some days at 3pm. And 7.30pm, people are going to watch us. A bit like a zoo or whatever. And I'll give you a cut. If you do want to find out more, look at the internet. Manyachocolatefactory.com. Speak soon. Bye. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. This will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. What do you like listening to? Um, <laughs> chart music. <laughs> chart music. It's Thursday night. It's about 28 minutes past seven. It's November the 3rd, 1977. And the behemoths of pop are fighting like bastards and issuing triumphant roars as they charge and claw at each other in an attempt to reach that succulent record token your nonos promise you for Christmas because you're such an awkward bastard to buy for these days. Hey up, you pop-crazed youngsters, and welcome to the denouement of chart music number 62. I'm Al Needham, right by my side are Taylor Pogs and David Stubbs, and we are going in hard on the last knockings of this episode of Top of the Pops. Woo! Hey! Pow! With two more 70s lovelies, one with the most flick-back hair ever, reminds us that we're rocking on the very best show on television. This is the biggest party of the whole lot. Before introducing us to Heroes by David Bowie. <laughs> We've done David Bowie loads on chart music, and this single, the follow-up to Sound and Vision, which got to number three in March of this year, is the lead-off cut from his 12th LP of the same name, which came out a fortnight ago. Co-written with Brian Eno during his Berlin period, the lyrics, according to Bowie at the time, are about an anonymous couple he saw snogging by the Berlin Wall while he was in the studio. Before it was released at the end of September, Bowie was already out and about plugging the shit out of it. 
Even though a promo video had been shot in Paris, he performed it on the last episode of the Granada TV kids show Mark nine days before Mark Boland was killed. Then he performed it on Bing Crosby's Merry Old Christmas a month before Crosby died. It entered the chart at number 27 and a week later he went for the hat trick when Dave Lee Travis introduced him singing live over a specially recorded backing track. But sadly, Travis lived. (laughs) So here's a repeat of his performance a fortnight ago. His first appearance in the Top of the Pop studio since Gene Gina in January of 1973 and only his third overall appearance on our favourite Thursday night pop treat first things first chaps peter paul is the absolute enola gay of the b-bomb isn't it <laughs> fuck's sake yeah 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 absolutely but um again the, i mean the girl on the left of him has a real sort of kind of go now vibe about him and i don't think that's entirely mm. down to the creepiness of power i just think it's that just no. people even people that were on a show like that in those days it was almost like a collective shyness it was just a general attitude you know the stars of the stars and we are but the humble audience and all that kind of stuff there wasn't yeah don't look at me i'm no one special yeah, absolutely and it's almost like in parallel in football the way that like fans in this era they would just wear scarves and like maybe sort of you know and rosettes or something like that they wouldn't actually wear replica shirts with that tender implication no. that they clearly had dreams dreams and aspirations of being players themselves and would do something as daftly mm. precarious as wear the actual shirt or in some cases yeah. full kit you know you'd see liverpool fans in the absolute full kit right about that time the only person who was doing that was brian glover in kez mm. <laughs> absolutely i think that reticence is partly you know a humility that mm. we have lost as a people mm. but it's also because this was a more violent time where it was a really good idea not to put your head above the parapet yeah yeah yes. absolutely if you didn't have a bodyguard and a limousine just just keep your head down eh? Mm. yeah oh yeah yeah you were on telly the night you must think you saw yeah. that uh, yeah, extroversion yeah, yeah. would get your fucking head kicked in that's right and that even went on into the 80s mm. because you know i mentioned in a previous episode of charmies that i auditioned for the central television workshop oh, yeah. didn't get in and failed to be on your mother wouldn't like it <laughs> and since then i've known loads of people who were in that and were on telly and all that kind of stuff they told me that their lives were just made fucking hell by mm. it yeah, yeah and they just said yeah you just wouldn't go into town mm. on a saturday because there'd be a load of youths coming up to you going oh you're on fucking telly you must think you're summer mm, yeah yeah, mm. yeah i believe this phenomenon continues to some extent in that i'm told male porn stars avoid the local pub <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So, yeah, this song, I mean, fucking hell, mm. ooh, what a mountain to scale. Mm. Yeah. People go on about it as if it's one of his biggest hits, and he's currently promoting the arse off it, but, you know, let's look at the chart position so far. Number 27, number 26, number 25, and now number 24. What? What's going on? <laughs> mm. Is this something to do with RCA pressing plants around the world still hammering out Elvis vinyl? <laughs> because you know he's just died and there was a massive surge in demand for elvis lps in the wake of his death and that's been compounded by a trade union dispute at rca's plant in county durham yeah. only last month yeah i guess it's one of these songs and there's two or three of them tonight actually that um really tr- you know transcended their times and it's like you know the, the performance in the charts at the time is just incidental because um they really kind of in their own way even and include rocking all over the world and that they kind of belong to the ages really and Bowie mm. has that wonderful sense of self-possession. He's Bowie, his David. Yeah, fuck's sake. Oh, oh, oh yes, oh, bow, wow, 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 wowie. Yes, yowie, Bowie. 
um you know he has this wonderful sort of self-possession you know he's, he's in the moment but he's kind of belongs to the ages i mean you know he has a sort of mm. timeless appearance about him you know, there's not apart from possibly his the sleeves on his shirt or whatever it's a kind of pretty timeless mm. look he's got there he's just wearing a standard shirt but he's mm. um he's unbuttoned his sleeve yeah. hasn't he? and they're hanging down i just i just admire his whole demeanor in this song i mean if you contrast it with the ludicrous histrionics of freddie mercury early on mm. that kind of willful preposterousness you just get the feeling here that bowie bowie wow wow wowie he's pretty conscious of the massive and exact precise weight of his importance but he just carries it really modestly very lightly indeed he's sort of radiating this quiet supremely confident benevolence really is absolutely at ease Mm. with the idea of sharing himself with the world yeah and i mean this is 1977 and he's such an important you know we've talked about this before really in terms of um kraut rock and everything like that and the fact that he kind of gives it his blessing and that sort of changes so many things but he's so he's in the process at the mm. moment of redirecting rock culture or subculture from from west to east you know he's meeting kraut work yeah. and contemplating working with michael rotter out of noy but i always think that with bowie it's there's always an essential bowiness about him you know he's meeting mm. and he's always in between he's, he's well observed yeah David. he's meeting ralph hutter but he's also meeting Bing Crosby. You know, he's signposting crap yeah. rock, but he never imitated crap rock as such. I mean, no. he's generally classic. I always think of him as a classic artist. This is classic in the sense of being immaculately sculpted and balanced and built for durability and no built-in mm. obsolescence or faddishness or anything like that. Um, yeah. And I think the only, I, would, I would just say, if, if I could go back in time and, and, and tell him anything, I'd just say, look, just leave it here, mate. Don't, bother keeping pace with the times or signposting the times as we go into the 80s mm. catching the tail of the zeitgeist fuck the zeitgeist just do yeah. what you do you know a bit of sax tony yeah. visconti at the controls you know aloof from the fray don't be worrying about the bloody pixies or drum and bass because i think belatedly no. he did come to that sort of sense and i think that was why he was kind of yeah. more universally exalted whereas during the 80s he was, to be honest, he was a bit of a laughing stock, you know, after this moment. You look at a wonderful moment like this, and perhaps he should have just sort of stepped back at that particular point. Ever since the early 70s, and right up to 1982, he's an RCA man, and apparently Colonel Parker would threaten to end Elvis's deal with RCA at a stroke if they ever signed anyone that he saw as competition. Yeah, that was shaky was on Epic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so at the moment, their roster is Boa, Iggy Pop, Hall & Oates... Harry Nielsen, Baccarat, and fuck all else. Mm. But, you know, Elvis did save RCA. There's a story that they were having a board meeting on August the 16th of this year, and they're absolutely in the shit. And someone runs in and says, oh, I've got even more bad news. Elvis has just died. (laughs) And someone just jumped up, you know, threw his papers in the air and went, fucking yes, we've made the month. Full steam ahead to the printing press. Uh, So Coe said, "Uh, I've heard Elvis is dead. And the guy's like, his eyes shiftily go from size. Oh, Really? Oh, what terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Talking of Elvis, this song has become Bowie's American Trilogy, hasn't it? Mm. It's that one song that from here on in has to be on every set he plays. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like David was saying, I really like this neither young nor old um, seedy Robert Redford version of Bowie. Mm. It's like before he climbed back into the clown suit for uh, Ashes to Ashes. Yeah, it's like he's dignified... But he's mm. the opposite of boring, you know. It's mm. like mm. he's like, just he's thirty-ish, you know, in front of a decolorized mutation of the LWT logo uh, mm. in his chunky dad jeans, you know. And it's funny because yeah. in nineteen seventy-three. 
David Bowie comes on top of the pops and it's like this freak has materialized from another planet yeah the everyday world of of y fronts and power cuts you know and he's mm. he's, he's tank tops. yeah he's going to electrify and pervert everything and in 1977 mm. david bowie appears and it's like a real normal person has just mm. walked mm. into this creepy pantomime of peter powellism and hmm. you know souped up variety show nonsense and he's surveyed the yeah. scene and lifted one eyebrow and he's visibly above the fray here in mm. that he's yes. thinking adult thoughts but not the boring ones no. and he's slightly bemused by all the trashiness and he's not concealing a quiet smirk but it's not in a snooty way he's just an intelligent mature man enjoying an amusing evening out before he gets back to the serious work and it's fair enough he doesn't need to be here like you wouldn't have got no. paul mccartney or the stones or even queen into the no. studio to do their latest song in front of no. 50 lank-haired adolescents you know shifting from <laughs> foot to foot like they need a piss mm. but while bowie clearly considers himself to be above the reality of top of the pops in 1977 he doesn't mm. consider himself to be above the concept of it so here he is you know he's a mature artistic rock musician who still understands the thrill of the game which is as rare as a newspaper article about the who which spells all their names correctly <laughs> the only regret is it means we don't get to see legs and co dancing yes like dressed as odysseus spider-man kevin keegan um, <laughs> bob fish out of darts you know uh, uh, merlin <laughs> reese all the heroes of the time you know lord mm. boothby uh, <laughs> david berkowitz um <laughs> youth of joyce you know Oh, yeah. Youther. He's singing this live over a specially pre-recorded track that was knocked up that very week, fully complying with musician union regulations, which is a bit of a shame, because just imagine what the Top of the Pops orchestra could have done with this one. <laughs> but by uh, appearing on Top of the Pops, yeah. he, you know, as we've seen, he's done a kids' TV show, he's done a show for the oldens, and here he is on Top of the Pops. He's very keen to sell this record, isn't he? Is that because he's finally enjoying being a pop star again? or is he being pushed by RCA to remind people that there's more to them than Elvis or is he worried that the spotlight's moved away from him? I think that yeah there's definitely an element of the latter I think there, I mean I don't think that Bowie really had anything to worry about in terms of punk No. nonetheless I think that he was you know he was a, he was a little bit sort of nervous I suspect by nature I do remember a tale of him when John Wilde at Melody Maker reviewed one of the Tim Machine albums and the last line was something like sit down man you're a fucking disgrace and he was absolutely mm. devastated by this review I mean did oh. it mean to me? you David Bowie who gives a shit but he was yeah. and his press officer had to kind of read it out to him line by line and sort of like and hold his hand as it were you know to kind of I don't know it's not so bad <laughs> it was it was bad but you know it's, it, it's kind of sad to think of an artist being that kind of thin skinned I guess and you know he, he probably was and so I imagine that maybe punk did unnerve him despite the fact that he was absolutely adored so yeah this single is seen as one of his best isn't it well when we started doing this podcast 16 years ago come Michaelmas <laughs> I remember everyone thinking how is this going to pan out if we keep on going and the big hitters mm. start turning up over and over 
will it become yeah. tedious and repetitive? And I remember thinking, only if the records are tedious and repetitive. Yeah. Now, if they're not, then no. And there's no better illustration of this than in the sequencing here, right? We go from trying to talk about status quo for the third or fourth time, trying mm. not to say the same things about endless formica and hamster wheels, to getting to talk about david bowie for the third or fourth time and immediately filling up with too much to say all of it different from the last time we did him because it's a different Mm. david bowie record exactly and while this record like the quo record is based on repetition and momentum and locomotion that one by the time it finally collapses feels like it's used up half your life Mm. this one This is cut to three minutes precisely, I guess, because it's a repeat clip. And just that fact, it leaves you feeling half full because Mm. the song is not a grind. It works by building momentum and then setting up contrasts and emotional switches within Mm. that momentum. So when it's cut short like this, it actually feels unfinished because it's going somewhere. As opposed to the way you can cut the, the quo boogie off by the yard you mm. know like lead piping yes. it's like you know what, what do you want 15 foot there you go same as the other 15 foot right was here it's like you've dived into this this rushing lurid blue river of this record and then someone's hauled you out mm. with a boat hook after 300 yards you know it's like mm, yeah. yeah i was on my way to the sea <laughs> it's just you just you want to hear the whole thing it gathers moss as well. There's a sense of that, I always feel about it. I mean, yeah, you could go for an aquatic mm. analogy, but there is a sense of, you know, a rolling stone gathering moss. It's a real sort of physical, sort of tangible, furry feel to it almost, you know. Mm. It's almost like the classic Bowie record in as much as when you break it all down joylessly, mm. there's not much here that hadn't already been done by hands that's rhyming slang for german bands Mm. um but nothing that bowie ever did was original in that sense right Mm. it was always all collage and cut-ups and rearranged stuff that was already there but that's okay if you do it well because imagination is much more important than originality Mm. it's something people don't always get about music you don't have to be original if you've got imagination and i've always smilingly admired the way he cleverly presented that like uh hey this is me this is actually a true reflection of me the restless questing artist in a <laughs> postmodern world of echoes and shadows and reflections you yeah. know this eclecticism is actually the natural state of the true artist in the 1970s that was a neat trick for mm. a man who had every ability in spades except the ability to sit down in an empty room and create something completely new out of nothing Mm. right but it's okay if you're this good a singer and this good a songwriter and this good a performer and this good a catalyst for bringing the best out of other people and you've got this many ideas it's fine you can take everything from other people and make it into something of your own you know Mm. in a way you could say that Bowie was an interpreter of other people's ideas in the same way that Frank Sinatra or Ella Fitzgerald or Elvis Presley were interpreters of other people's songs, mm. you know, which is a very long way from shameful. It's not like he was some hollow jackdaw, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. Because he was never totally original, always or almost always incredibly imaginative. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah. I mean, I'd stick my neck out and say that in terms of like your relationship with your source material, which isn't necessarily your own, he is something of a world apart from the Baron Knights. <laughs> Controversial. Mm, well, I know, you know, yeah, that's what it's all about. The hot takes. So the following week, Heroes dropped one place to number 25, stayed there the week after, and then tumbled down the chart. The follow-up, Beauty and the Beast, would only get to number 39 in February of 1978, and he'd have to wait until June of 1979 for his next major hit, Boys Keep Swinging, which got to number 7. Despite its piss-poor chart position, Heroes would go on to have a prolific afterlife, featuring in Bowie's set at Live Aid, his performance at the Freddie Mercury Tribute Concert, the concert for New York City in the wake of September the 11th, and as the intro music for the British team at the London Olympics. It became the most streamed song on Spotify in the week after Bowie's death in January 2016 and the highest placed of the 13 Bowie singles, which entered the charts at number 12. Fucking hell. So there's this, rocking all over the world, and we are the champions. The three Mm. most key songs of Live Aid are all on this episode of Top of the Pops. That's fucking insane, (laughs) isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And in 1999, Tony Visconti admitted that the anonymous snoggers by the wall were actually him and a backing singer while he was still married to Mary Hopkin. Oh, man. That's taken a lot from the song for me. Yeah. With Bowie covering up for them. Oh. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Bowie enabler. Yeah. We could be sneaky bastards just for one night. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I don't see anything particularly heroic about shitting on Mary Hobkin. Uh, not at all, no. <laughs> no. Music and the charisma of David Bowie at 24 with Heroes. Nine hits in all so far. This could be the next one for them. It's Shawty Waddy. They've got a brand new hit out to be. It's called Dancing Party and it goes like this. Finally on his own, drops a second B-bomb before informing us that the next group are on the cusp of their 10th hit single. It's Dancing Party by Show Waddy Waddy. The Wads are always welcome on chart music, and the last time we chanced upon them in chart music number 47, they were having a big tinsely slap-up meal in the 1977 Christmas Day episode to commemorate You Got What It Takes getting to number two in August of that year. Held off number one by that classic Hispanic suicide anthem, Angelo, by the Brotherhood of Man. (laughs) This is the follow-up, and in a surprise move, they've elected to do a cover version. (laughs) In this case, the 1962 Chubby Checker single, which got to number 19 in September of 1962. It's just missed out on the top 40 this week, entering the charts at number 41, but Top of the Pops clearly doesn't give a fuck about that, waving them straight into the studio for a bit of Leicester sexual rock and roll. (laughs) Oh, 
Shawaddy Waddy, welcome uh, back. We've missed you. Yeah, how many episodes is it now? Like one. <laughs> I, I like the fact that at the beginning they've got that group huddle going, which is decades in advance of like every sports team in the world. Yes. Uh, yeah, the group huddle. That's excellent. I was initially I was gonna I was gonna come in with like, you know, all guns blazing about how come, you know, the black guy, the drummer, isn't allowed in on the bonding session at the beginning, you know? But, mm. um, of course, somebody has to hold down the beat and be the drummer. Yes. So I think we can let them off, you know? Not, yeah. not a racialist bone in their bodies, I think. No, 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 Safely, no. safely, safely say of the wads. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it's a dancing party you'd want to be at, isn't it? You know, yes. The village hall, the orange squash flowing, home by quarter to eight in the evening. I mean, it's got <laughs> that vibe about it. Yes. <laughs> like I've said before, if you did put a gun to my head, in 1977 number one i'd shit myself and run off mm-hmm. uh because that's what my dad's mate used to do every time i used to go around his house he had this big gun on top of his telly that mm. um acted as a lighter and he pointed ah. at me head and i would oh, absolutely quiver times. while my dad laughed mm. oh, teary me, you know teary what i mean no that's just grim yeah but um no show what he wanted my favorite band at the time so i would have been absolutely fucking delighted to see this on top of the pops yeah yeah and it's a tune as well you know i was very au fait with chubby checker at the time because i think 1977 was the year that i yeah. had a rummage through my dad's record collection and pulled out less twist again by chubby checker mm. took it to the westglade junior school end of term summer disco and demanded it get played and oh what a fucking reaction from the youth yeah. it was just like cool herc putting on champ oh. for the first yeah. time ever Mm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. <laughs> Another cover version, but unlike the Baron Knights and the Carpenters, the Wads have wisely put out one of their own compositions written by all eight members of the band on the B-side. They're, they're a true workers' collective, <laughs> a Leicester commune, mm. because, you know, they did start their career off with original songs like Hey Rock and Roll, but they're very quickly floundered about in the 30s. But in May of 1975, they did a cover of Eddie Cochran's Three Steps to Heaven, which got to number two. And after going back to original stuff and re-floundering in the 30s again, they, of course, got to number one in December of last year with Under the Moon of Love, and they've now gone full covers for the rest of their career. Yeah, when you're completely fucking talentless, it's a wise move. <laughs> isn't it? One of the things I like about his performance is the radicalism. I was talking earlier on about like how the audience feel like they are there is such an incredible divide. You know that punk mm. is supposedly come to kind of narrow the great divide between the yeah. humble audience and the superstars, mm. and here they are mingling with the audience. And you don't yes. really get that often. I, 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 the only, the only person I remember seeing do it, well, the Rolling Stones, kind of in the late sixties when I was a kid, it really terrified me. They sort of yes. like the audience sort of you know there was a real kind of you know, breakdown of the division between, you know, the crowd and the band, and the, which I thought was all a bit terribly delinquent when I was five. Mm. And Gilbert O'Sullivan did it. He once sort of, like, got up from the old piano and started dancing around in the crowd. You know, and it feels like you're really breaking down a wall when they do yes. it on top of the pops. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's of, like Hey Jude in reverse, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And when you think about it, chaps, it, it's weird seeing a load of men in Teddy Boy outfits capering about and having mm. fun with the audience when, you know, you consider that Teddy Boys were the Weetabix of their day yeah and the current version in 1977 are still fucking nasty bastards that's oh yeah that's really strange isn't it yeah yeah it's it, it's it's a very kind of laundered version of teddy boyism in 1977 mm. yeah the shit yeah. out of punks you know yeah there have been a few yeah. young punks watching this who would not have seen this as a, a group of yeah. lovable lovable party yeah. people living it up mm. no 
Mm. No. Um, it's like a band in the early noughties calling themselves Skin Heady Headed <laughs> and doing cover versions of Screwdriver and Foreskins <laughs> records in, in different coloured Doc Martins. Yeah, Skin Heady Heady, I sent a future top ten entry there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this looks like a pre-record from the previous week because it looks like a different audience. Um, because it's 1977, of course, two of the kids are wearing massive Jubilee tinfoil top hats. Mm. with writing on the side that that Dave Bartram puts on when he's getting involved with the audience. Did you notice what they said on them? Was it Hello Mum? Hello Mum on one side, and on the other side, Vote Fonze. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And the other hat that a mate was wearing just said cool it mm. happy days is absolute apex by 1977 i mean i never got to see she what well, i did I, I saw them in 1987 yes she did like before when they supported einstein and neubaum yes and absolutely won our hearts um mm. but i do remember around this time um the only other cultural impact surely what it was uh, a friend of mine carl pease he sacked off football in order to go and see Shiwadi Wadi play. Good lord. And um, there's up in Leeds. And the teacher, who was also the geography teacher the next day, just spent the entire lesson talking about dark sarcasm in the classroom. And he was just like, so you'd rather see um, Shiwadi Paddy play? You'd rather see Shiwadi Paddy play? And play football, <laughs> eh? Shiwadi Paddy, eh? Not football, eh? Oh, Shiwadi Paddy. And he was just going on this the whole time. He thought it was pretty witty, witty stuff. You know, the idea of the, you know, it could be an Irish tribute band, uh, no doubt. But um, yeah, Shiwadi Paddy, eh? Eh? eh. No matter what your football, eh? Shuadi Paddy. That's cool, man. And it was just it was relentless, you know, and, and about that level of wit and searing. It was excruciating stuff. Poor old Carl Pease, you know, burying his head in his desk, you know, trying to keep his head down. But, um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, they, they had an impact. Yeah. We're used to seeing Shawadi Wadi bouncing about on the top of the pop stage in different coloured drapes. We certainly are. Like a bag of rock and roll skickles, but mm. not this time. They're all <laughs> no. in red. Yeah, yeah. Even the Sikh yeah, lad yeah, yeah. is in red this time. Mm. Why? Yeah. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Maybe someone left a red sock in the communal show Waddy Waddy washing machine. Or <laughs> if we're deploying the show Waddy Waddy gay drape code, <laughs> they're all into fisting at the moment and have spent the afternoon jamming their arms up each other's arseholes in the top of the pops dressing room. Well, yeah, but, yeah. but I actually contend it's to commemorate their third LP, Red Star, which comes out a week tomorrow. Red Star. Mm. Yeah, the the cover looks like a, a parcel. It's not it's not a communist thing or a mm. tribute to Belgrade. No, no, no. no. Yeah. it's a parcel. I mean, but what a parcel it is. <laughs> mm. I mean, look, we we were talking about repetition. Um, mm. I don't understand why you would buy this record if you'd already bought a Shwadi Wadi record, mm. especially if you'd bought Under the Moon of Love the previous yeah. year. Uh, just play that again. Let's have a ball at the hall tonight. Boom, boom, under the moon of love. Absolutely. And I mean, in terms of this podcast, it's like, you know, there's that famous story about how when Alex Ferguson was managing Manchester United, uh, that he'd mm-hmm. kind of given these team talks before every match, except when they were playing Tottenham Hotspur, where he'd just walk into mm-hmm. the dressing room, shrug and say, lads, it's Spurs and walk out again and they'd always win (laughs) always win getting a bit like that we might as well just come on and go lads it's shawaddy waddy and just yeah everyone knows exactly what we're talking about but taylor i mean fucking hell you could say the same thing about shaking stevens and look at the fucking tangents we've gone off with him true it's Mm. true but luckily on this occasion i don't have to say that much about the record because uh instead 
I can give you a book report. <gasps> uh, about <gasps> 10 years ago, Shawadi Wadi lead singer or a <laughs> lead singer, Dave Bartram, <laughs> the one who looks like Joy Sarney with slightly shorter hair. Um, <laughs> he wrote this book called The Boys of Summer, which is a memoir of Shawadi Wadi's disastrous 2005 tour of British holiday oh. camps. Um, described to him on the phone by the agent who set up the tour as not quite as upmarket as the rival Butlin's camps. Mm. He doesn't specify the company, but he does tell you where these places are. So with five minutes on Google, you can work out they were Haven holiday parks. Uh, So, in fact, not quite as upmarket as the rival Pontins camps. Uh, No. E.g. Pontins Breen Sands, subject of a memorable ITV News experience. Bose, which I watched on YouTube the other day. It's very funny. But it's one down from that. <laughs> it's the kind of places that would hire Shawadi Wadi in 2005, basically. <laughs> now, first of all, I don't care who you are, you're going to be impressed when you open any book and see that it has a forward by Amanda Holden. Oh, definitely. You know what I mean? I, I, unless you're Les Dennis, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so that's good. But the problem is that a book like this is all about the author's voice. Right? These stories are only as funny as the way they're told. And mm. it has to be said, Dave Bartram's dad-joking exclamation mark heavy prose style is not really a beautiful thing. I don't think he's used a ghostwriter because he, he makes no. – quite a big deal about writing it himself but he really should have i mean fucking i'd have done it for 50 quid and a night out with amanda holden i mean you know <laughs> reckon i'd have had a chance you know <laughs> and i told her that i know dave bartram out of shawaddy waddy she'd have been eating out of my hand uh but yeah it's one of these situations where someone writes a book about themselves and they're the worst thing about their own book mm. um yeah, the writing style is very stout yeoman of the bar, isn't it? It is, yeah, mm. which gets very wearing. Um, mm. And it's also a little bit, needless to say, I had the last laugh. I had the last yeah, laugh. Yeah. I, that's what I found. And it's that kind of like Alan Partridge thing of like, and then his job's worth beyond the bar. He said, ooh, I don't, ooh, I don't think you be doing that, you know. Mm. Yeah, and I don't recall a single story in this catalogue of calamity where dave bartram comes out looking silly or mm. in the wrong mm-hmm. or yeah. makes any kind yeah, yeah. of mistake uh, yeah even yeah. the bit where he tells us all about his terrible hemorrhoids it's not really yeah. self-deprecating he's just passing on information which we will presumably find interesting because mm. it's about him uh <laughs> let me give you a little illustration of what oh, i mean please here. do um He spends quite a lot of time describing a kid's magician who's also on at one of these camps who's got Mm. a dog which barks after every trick, right? Mm. Which he thinks is one of the funniest things he's ever seen. Um, (laughs) The memory, he says, has long remained with me and frequently rears its head to silently amuse my warped sense of humour and cause me to snigger much to the puzzlement of those in my company at the time. (laughs) Now, if you can imagine 336 pages, all written in that style, it's like an extensive course in how to write badly. Mm. Right, you know, some people who are articulate and can spell and, and punctuate and aren't completely thick 
always think that means that they can write. Yeah. It's why it's the most undervalued specialist skill. Hmm. Like, if you start singing and it's terrible, people will tell you to stop and no one will employ you. But if you start writing and it's terrible, a lot of people can't tell. And if you start writing mm. and it's good, a lot of people also can't tell. So, yeah. I mean, I'm not in a position to lecture anyone. I've written plenty of rubbish in my life, but I've done it for long enough that I know the things you shouldn't do. Yeah. Right. There's an awful lot of POVing in this book, which does not stand for point of view. It stands for popular orange vegetable. Um, <laughs> it's a, a famous story sort of shared among journalists. Of, of, of some hack had to write an article about carrots, and they use the word carrots, and they use the word carrots again. And it gets to the point you have to start reaching for synonyms or mm. finding roundabout ways to say these things. And by the end of the article, they were reduced to writing the phrase the popular orange vegetable. And uh, <laughs> Dave gives us one of the greatest POVs I've ever read in a scene where he's walking through a caravan park and he mentions the caravans and then he says something else about the caravans and then he doesn't want to say the word caravans <laughs> again. So he refers to them as wheeled homes. <laughs> An exquisitely awkward phrase which hasn't left my head since I read it. Wheeled homes. I mean, I heard the audio version of this and I do must confess i lost a little bit of the kind of the goodwill and respect that had accrued after the oh. um blue neubauer off the stage oh <laughs> well there's potentially a very funny book in it yeah. obviously mm. because spending weeks on end in some of britain's shittiest holiday camps yeah. is an intrinsically funny situation yes. and also operating at this depressing basement level of rock and roll is mm. clearly funny in itself but what's funny about it is the atmosphere and detail which is all the stuff that Dave can't do. No. But unless lots of really, really funny things happen to you, it's not automatically going to be funny mm. as a collection of anecdotes, which is what Dave does. Mm. So uh, not wanting to take up too much of your sweet time, here's a very brief selection of highlights from the book. <laughs> so uh, please come on this journey with me. <laughs> the first place they play is uh, inevitably has recently hosted a Shawaddy Waddy tribute band. Mm. Um, most writers would see that as a, an open goal. Mm. But rather than explore that personal humiliation for laughs, Dave just mentions it in passing yeah. and instead goes on his first flight of fancy. Here we are. <laughs> I wandered back to the reception area as prior to the gig, I'd received a phone call from the duty manager who'd said he was looking forward to meeting me <laughs> and asked if I'd pop in to say hello upon <laughs> arrival. Behind the front desk was an anorexic-looking girl who informed me that he was on a call but wouldn't be long if I'd be so good as to take a seat. My eyes were immediately drawn to the pallid woman who clearly had an aversion to the fare they served up at the camp, mm. if not to anything nutritious in general. Mm. There's something eerie about very skinny people that gives me the creeps. <laughs> Perhaps it's the angular bones Ooh. that jut out beneath a thin sack of skin that mm. renders their appearance as almost deathly. <laughs> But whatever it may have been, rather than engage in a conversation about her daily dietary requirements, I took the option of perusing the notice board, which listed some quite fascinating forthcoming attractions. Mm. 
Well, this is page 14. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, punching down on women with potential eating disorders isn't the mm. most engaging of uh, tacks. Well, you may say that, David, but, you know, don't let it be said that he uh, concentrates on his ghoulish preoccupations. And uh, (laughs) look, because Dave can do comedy. Listen to this, right? This is when they play that place with the magician and his dog, right? And during the set, (laughs) wait till you hear this, right? It's quite the yarn. Uh, the, the, The dog wandered onto the stage while they no just like ultimont again yeah 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 dave takes up the action (laughs) in the midst of the hilarity i quickly improvised and ranted (laughs) into the mic who let the dogs out to which the crowd instantly responded with barking noises something akin to the answer (laughs) backs on the original baha men recording (laughs) It was a while before anyone was able to regain their composure and complete the show without further incident. But the receptive punters had lapped it up and we had rounded (laughs) off a good day in fine style. (laughs) And then just when you think no more laughs can possibly be squeezed out of the dog story on the next page, Mm -hmm. he gives us a top 10 an indented top 10 mark you of all the songs they should have played that night as suggested by members of Shawadi Wadi after the show. And it's like hound dog, Elvis Presley, black dog, Led Zeppelin. I love my dog. (laughs) It's just a load of songs with dog in the title. There's not puns or anything. Mm -hmm. Like, he put this in a book. I think after this, people are going to be racing back gratefully for my Rick Buckler joke. (laughs) (laughs) He has a running joke through the whole book where he wants some fresh fruit. (laughs) But the camp shop never sells it because he strongly implies all the punters are fucking subhuman peasants who only Mm. eat chips and, like, super kings fried in lard um <laughs> so at one point he gets very excited because he thinks he sees some oranges through the window so he goes in the popular orange fruit that's right yes 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 so take it away dave i went inside eager to see if i was right and picked up a plastic netted bag containing two solid wooden rackets and a bright orange ball oh. the pallid assistant looked across and said they're eight pounds 99 i explained to her i'd mistaken the ball for an orange to which she sharply retorted i think you need an optician's not a supermarket Mm. nothing super about this store i snapped back and strode out with my door demeanor intact well, that definitely happened, didn't it? I was going to yes. say, Danny Baker's got a series on his podcast called Now That Never Happened. And <laughs> yeah. Everything that you've said so far will be absolutely prime. Yes, no doubting the veracity of this particular rock and roll <laughs> legend. <laughs> well, else happens? Dave goes to the gym and gets a personal trainer. Yes. But his personal trainer's gay. Oh. And uh, obviously, propositions Dave. Um, mm. That's another story. Yeah. Watch your backs. Uh, well, I think he does a bit more than that. Oh, does he? I can't remember. Well, he gets his cock out and dangles it in front of his face while he's oh, does lying he? on the floor, I yes. I didn't even remember that bit, sorry. <laughs> that, there's, there's just so much gold in this book, it just it, it just washed right over <laughs> me, that. Mm. Right. My personal favourite passage from the book, he's still on that fresh fruit search motif. Yes. So here's another deathless vignette. <laughs> 
Irritatingly, the shop was closed, but reopened at 7pm. With an appalling Schwarzenegger impersonation, I posed hands on hips and said, I'll be back. (laughs) Yeah, that's the closest Dave gets to being self-deprecating, by Mm. the way. Dissing his own Schwaddy-waddy's reputation is just in ruins for me Mm. after this. (laughs) Oh, you wait. (laughs) Dave's hemorrhoid hell. He goes to the doctor's only to find that the wonderful NHS could do nothing for me, with no doctors sitting until the following Monday morning. So, after muttering some curmudgeonly un-PC comment, I hobbled off in search of a chemist. Uh, David later transpires, reads the Daily Telegraph. Right. Um, Shwaddy Waddy's intro tape is the Dam Busters theme. Mm. In Perranporth, they're put up in a caravan next to some Eastern Europeans. Right. Dave picks up the story. There had been much media speculation in recent weeks about the growing number of asylum seekers being allowed entry into the country. And perhaps the government had enforced some new legislation that temporarily placed those seeking UK residency into empty caravans in the country's seaside resorts. But whether or not that was the case here, we figured it may not actually be a bad idea. (sighs) The din became almost unbearable as glasses and bottles clinked together and then a CD of wailing gypsy-type music began blaring out through the open door. To cut a long story short, in the end, Shawaddy Waddy have a ringside seat for a bare-knuckle boxing match between (laughs) two of these Eastern Europeans, one of whom is called Ivan, brackets, pronounced even. Um, (laughs) you're right it's it's so sad there's some fucking great stories clearly here that there and he's just not telling them well you say that (laughs) but here's something which may be of interest to the pop crazed youngsters for varying reasons i've long had an intrinsic dislike for that vast majority of djs the band have so often had the dubious pleasure of working alongside don't get me wrong In my humble opinion, there have been many talented protagonists of the decks over the (laughs) years. Protagonists of the decks! (laughs) Such as Emperor Roscoe, Tommy Vance, Kid Jensen, and more latterly, Steve Lamack, who all (laughs) share, brackets, a genuine appreciation for good music and consider their playlists to be infinitely more important than filling the airwaves with inane verbal diarrhoea. But those apart, in our eons of experience, we've shared stages with a whole multitude of egotistical dummies, (laughs) most of whom bear no responsibility whatsoever for the tunes blasting out from their mixing consoles and turntables. (laughs) One episode of my career, of which I'm not particularly proud, was back in 1978, when the band was invited to record a song with the high-profile Radio 1 DJs of the day. The studio was littered with such names as Tony Blackburn, Dave Lee Travis, <laughs> Noel Edmonds, Diddy David Hamilton, Simon Bates. There was a face for radio if ever I saw one. Oh, Ooh. he's what God made him, sir. And many more. 
But the session itself was, to put it mildly, an eye-opener, with the celeb DJs resembling a clan of hyenas released into the wild for the day as they bitched and henpecked from the word go. (laughs) Such was the unremitting nature of their jawing that at one point I was forced to rudely request that they pipe down and concentrate on the task in hand, which was to deliver, in unison, a football style chorus that provided the song's monotonous hook and which would be dubbed over the backing track that five of our members had prepared a couple of days earlier the record new wave band by jock swan and the meters was made to mark the frequency change not the actual meters of, of radio one from 247 metres to 275 and 285 metres. <laughs> and despite receiving a fair amount of airplay, it was a mercy that the band's name remained anonymous as the <laughs> awful release justifiably sank without trace. Oh. Anyway, I won't spoil the ending of this book. Um, <laughs> they, they, they get sacked from the tour because Dave goes on stage with a novelty elephant head which belongs yes. to the camp, which is against mm. regulations. But needless to say he has the last last laugh that is the ending but trust me nothing has been spoiled Mm. here you you missed out the bit where um one of show waddy waddy shits himself in the van oh god yeah when they're just outside a service station but there's a traffic jam and yeah he uh fills his drain pipes (laughs) (laughs) he needed his gutterings cleared after that but yeah the uh the book concludes on a happy note with shawadi waddy's retirement (laughs) and the warm glow of dave being able to report that one of his many named antagonists from earlier in the book was later arrested by northamptonshire police for indecent exposure which probably (laughs) served him right yeah. Uh, it's terrible. After all of this, I've kind of radically revised my opinion and now think that Schwadi were a load of awful shit who should never be seen or heard again. That's terrible. What are we going to do in future chart musics? In the light of all of this? The Boys of Summer by Dave Bartram, published by <laughs> Phantom Books. F-A-N-T-O-M. <laughs> Available in all good... Well... Yeah. No, available on the internet. <laughs> with a forward by Amanda Holden. <laughs> so the following week, Dancing Party soared 24 places to number 17, that week's highest new entry. And two weeks later, it would begin the first of two non-consecutive weeks at number four. The follow-up, a cover of the 1958 Dion and the Belmont single I Wonder Why, did even better, getting to number two in April of 1978. Held off the top spot by Matchstalk Men and Matchstalk Cats and Dogs by Brian and Michael, and the rest of their 1978 output, A Little Bit of Soap and Angel Eyes, both both got to number five, marking seven top five singles on the bounce. The, the scales have fallen from my eyes. They really have with the wads. Mm. It's, I begin to think that perhaps Neubauten were the better band on the night now, now that I kind of think about <laughs> it. Well, maybe not. All right. Fair yeah, well, just wait until you read Neubauten's book about their disastrous tour of the whole season circuit, David. <laughs> <laughs> Blick, blicks a bar yeah. Needless to say, I had the last laugh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, it's Mr. P here. I'm the other Mr. P. And we are the hosts of two Mr. P's in a podcast. The educational podcast where you don't actually learn a thing. No, instead we explore the weird, wonderful and downright hilarious things that happen in school from people actually doing the job. We reminisce on our own time at school, funny things we experience each day. And of course, we share your hilarious stories from the chalk face. So if you work in a school or just want a nostalgic trip down memory lane, sit up straight, fingers on lips and get ready for the lesson. Shorty Waddy, and that's their brand new single. Give me three other hits of that. When I'm the Love, Saturday Night. Very good. And now it's number one time because it's brand new. It's Amber and the name of the game. Pow! Surrounded by five girls, keeps doing that thing he's been doing all episode. Suddenly crouching down as if the camera's got a ray gun mounted on the top and jumping back just a little bit. He's a bit nervous. Would you say that's nerves, or is it just him just being an unstoppable force of energy? Yeah, he doth leap too much, really, doesn't he? Definitely. Mm. I think he's definitely masking a kind of craven fear. Mm. Yeah, and of course he's not concentrating, because he's actually got a low-grade Agnetta lookalike standing right next to him. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Completely ignores her. Call yourself a professional. Fuck off, back to hospital radio, Uh, where mm. you belong. You've got to get stuck in, Peter. (laughs) Yeah, it's just the inevitable. Inanity, though it's just virulent it's like a plague a one-man plague of inanity <laughs> you know you can imagine that you know if this has been untreated unvaccinated you know centuries ago there'd be yeah. a pal in every village of some <laughs> geezer going around with a wagon ringing a bell shouting bring out your inane <laughs> it's just dreadful how'd, how'd it ever tolerate it he then drills the kids on their knowledge of show waddy waddy hits and they all pass with distinction <laughs> he then pivots to this week's number one the name of the game by abba it's the late 70s so of course we're going to talk about abba again this is the follow-up to knowing me knowing you which got to number one for five weeks in april of this year and like practically everything else in this episode is the lead-off cut from their forthcoming lp abba the album which is due out in five weeks time it also features in their forthcoming drama doc abba the movie which will also come out in december it entered the chart at number 20 a fortnight ago, then 
soared 15 places to number 5. And this week, it's effortlessly knocked Yes Sir, I Can Boogie by Baccarat off the summit of Mount Pop. And here is the video. Mm. Oh, chaps, where do we start with this? I mean, hands up, cards on table, all the Danny Dyer cliches. I think this is their best single. I agree. It's a definite toss-up between this and knowing me, knowing you. David, usually an unfairly build as an ABBA skeptic, you get in first. Okay, yeah, I mean, I do have this sort of reputation for regarding ABBA as kind of, I don't know, Formica Nazis or whatever, but it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's you know, it, 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 it's a bit more complicated than that. I, I was forced on occasion to play Devil's Advocate and it's kind of stuck mm. with me, which, you know, perhaps serves me right, really, for yeah. that kind so of... Serves you right for being a whore for television, David. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he has a whore of contrarianism, definitely, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, that appearance on that documentary which I showed every six months I think a million people watched it how many pence did I get for my appearance zero so no I gave, at least I sold myself I didn't even sell myself I gave it away for nothing yeah but, uh, there you, hey, go. you got your name out though David I did I got some exposure yeah 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 very useful yeah and the name was the man who is wrong about ABBA yep <laughs> yeah just what a kind of up-and-coming 50-year-old journalist needs um, <laughs> absolutely but um no I I, I, I I think this is really really good particularly the intro which is just absolutely exquisite crystalline yes. it's among Possibly it's my favourite passage of ABBA music. Apparently it's inspired by um, I Wish, but with the kind of funk surgically Ooh. removed, which is which is absolutely fine. I mean, you know, that's yeah. ABBA's going to ABBA, and that's no problem with that. Also, I think this is the only... I, read some, I, I remember it was sampled by the Fugees. And yes. For that song they, in that, uh, the Muhammad Ali documentary, When We Were Kings, it's used at the end there. Yes, Rumble in the Jungle. That's right, the Rumble in the Jungle, that's right. And apparently that's the only time ABBA have been sampled. I know, I that's mental. Yeah, I found that absolutely extraordinary. I don't know whether it's like, you know, the rates they charge or whatever. I mean, in a mm. sense, people like Simple Minds, I'd say on New Gold Dream, in a sense, well, they, I don't know, they, they don't sample ABBA, but they kind of echo ABBA in all kinds of ways, whatever. So what any old school hip hoppers could do worse than listening to uh, Hey Hey Helen? It's a very mm. nice run DMC type beat in that. Just mm. go in spare. Okay, yeah. yeah. As for the video and everything that like I mean, I suppose it's become a sort of almost like a French and Saunders type cliche, you know, the way that they kind of all hmm. kind of interact. It's the usual ABBA video, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, they're all sitting around, they're all flirting with each other and then feeling a bit sad. But, yeah, you know, that's fine. It's Abba. Yeah, it looks like they're contemplating a possible bit of a swing. You know, um, mm. you know, sort of Frieda and Bjorn, Benny and Bjorn and Frieda and Agnes or whatever. You know, whatever combination. But uh, yeah, you know, there's there's an air of that. I think the one yeah. thing that, that that perhaps was educative about this track for me was that um, I learnt finally the meaning of the word bashful. Because right. I'd always understood the word bashful to mean like, you know, like the Bash Street kids, you know, somebody yes. was like, you know, bash them up, you know. And I think I really understand, I'm a bashful child. Oh, okay, fair enough. You know, because I used to, you know, hear my mum or whoever saying, you know, the word bashful. That Isaac, he's very bashful. I says, no, he isn't. I'd batter yeah. him. You know, yeah. he's not bashful, not need little get. He's not bashful. I'm bashful. I'm more bashful than he is. You know, so, yeah. I mean, you know, so, so it was helpful to me in that respect, definitely. Yeah, so you th- you thought, you initially thought Frida was saying, you know, she puts herself about... Well, I mean, I think I realised then... She, you know, she's game. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think I kind of realised that uh, I've got it wrong. It's <laughs> not the first time I got it wrong about Abba, but um... in this case, they're having a nice game of Flashbell, which is mm. the Swedish version of the German Mensch Arger Dich Nicht, which is roughly translated to "Don't get angry, man." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's nice that we do actually learn the name of the game. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, yes, yes. It's, it's Swedish board game where everybody wins, and then you all have sex, and then kill yourself <laughs> yeah <laughs> fun for all the family yeah. i mean out of all the 70s games that they could have played man it's a bit disappointing yeah i mean mousetrap was going on yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah but it's they don't they don't need it they, yeah. they, they've reached no. a state of nordic calm mm. they don't yeah. they don't need all this stuff flashing in front of their eyes mm. it's <laughs> but it's fascinating how many abba videos are just film of some adults sitting around hanging yes. out you know mm. looking yeah. relaxed or tense you know there's like mm. a bowl of fruit on the table it's a little bit chilly but you're all in knitwear mm. um yeah you know some conversation and a quick round of fjart spell you know checker yeah. curtains pale light no telly it's mm. Nordic yeah. Blanc, really, isn't it? It's, uh, you know. It's reminiscent of a caravan holiday in the rain, isn't it? Where everyone's stuck inside playing pontoon with matchsticks. Yes, it mm. is, except with a standard of living high enough that, that you're not too worried about it, you know. Well, that might well be a caravan that they're in, but a really massive one. Because <laughs> they've got a better standard of living than us. Mm. Mm. And they don't go to Chapel St. Leonard's or Mablethorpe. <laughs> well, this, I mean, this video is, it's sort of in the vein. Of the knowing me, knowing you video, except except if that one really is Ingmar Bergman, this one is like an episode of Doctors. Mm. It's <laughs> yes. know, a bit less intense mm. and a bit less yeah. carefully put together. But you know, it's, I'm surprised to hear that you think this is their best single. I mean, I really love it, but I'd put a few ahead yeah. of this. I'd say Dancing mm-hmm. Queen, Knowing Me, Knowing You, yeah. SOS, oh, yeah. Winner Takes It yeah. All, possibly Mamma Mia. There's no consensus yeah. opinion on the greatest ABBA single it's it's personal isn't it mm. and for me this is it if you mm. were an ABBA single in that company you'd be pleased to finish sixth yes <laughs> like Arsenal you know. yeah yes <laughs> hurtful just outside the Champions hurtful. League of uh, ABBA singles yeah. <laughs> but it is amazing mm. whenever you see footage of ABBA in an house as we did then you're just looking around going oh what have they got that we haven't mm. and i'm always reminded of the publicity shot that i saw that was taken around this time where they're kind of like sat at a breakfast bar and on the table they've, they've got a holder for crisp breads which did my fucking head in when i first saw <laughs> it it was like a kitchen roll holder but stubbier and with a wider base mm. and i asked around and someone said yeah it's a crisp bread holder <laughs> You know, for for certain massive crisp breads with big holes in the middle. Yeah, for the brot. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah because even then, at the age of nine, it, I was quite a continental lad. And every time I went out to the co-op in Bullwell with my mum, I used to mither her for things like crisp breads. Yeah, you yeah. know, Not mm. not because I like them, but they seem massively exotic and the and the sort of thing that a go-ahead household should have in their yeah, cupboard. Yeah. Even when she caved in and uh, we got some, you know, I'd only have a couple of them with an entire triangle of dairy on them before they got long. But <laughs> that wasn't the point. Mm. The point wasn't to eat them. The point was to have them in your house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of like a bottle of Perrier in your fridge a, a few years later. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, in your completely spotless kitchen with hardly anything in it. Mm. Oh, I just remember my, my poor old mum in the 70s. She used to go on these occasional diets, and it consists of a bit no. of crisp bread and a huge lump of cheese. <laughs> uh, <laughs> cottage? Say, no, 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 just regular cheese. Oh, that's cheese. where she went wrong, Exactly, then. yeah, yeah. Cool. Never worked, but, uh, yeah. I mean, the poor... In these videos, they always seem to be very much downplaying, you know, it's not like kind of lifestyles to envy or anything like that. Mm. They always look like, you know, there's a national pub strike and they're just trying to find something to do with themselves, you know. No, but beer's so expensive in Scandinavia, Yeah, that's it? true, yeah. Apart from Denmark. Yeah. So it's like they can't go to the pub. Yeah, yeah, because it's too expensive even for ABBA, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's always like Benny never gets his round in. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I mean, the other great thing about this video and the single, to my mind, is that it, it gives Frida a fair go. Because mm. she was always pushed to the back in this country. Mm. You know, I never forgave Not the Nine O'Clock News for having her portrayed as Griff Rees-Jones in that video for super duper yeah, yeah. and the lyric one of us is ugly one of us is cute uh, yeah. one of us he'd like to see in her birthday suit and fuck that frida's men yeah. i mean in this video agnetta looks a bit like bet lynch about to go out on a picnic with mike baldwin <laughs> by a canal lock yeah. but frida she gets the best line tell me please because i have to know i'm a bashful child beginning to grow mm. and it's obvious in the footage that frida's got an absolutely filthy laugh man i i love to see that in a woman Mm. Mm. (laughs) yeah well the dynamic of it was always that benny and frida were like the rockers you know they were the Mm. ones that you'd go out and you know you got to some bar and you'd crawl back at two in the morning you know whereas bjorn and (laughs) yeah very sort of a little bit more sort of weird and neurotic and more Mm. like the you know raising the family and if you're into that sort of thing but people couldn't get past the fact that one of these women looked like the ideal of swedish beauty um yeah and the other one didn't because she's not swedish she's no. uh, half norwegian i think the politest way to put it is half norwegian um all things considered yes um mm. but yeah it's, yeah i know she does she does get a rough deal there's some clips where frida looks amazing and there's other clips where she kind of doesn't because she would chop and change her look a lot mm. i sort of know someone this is how bad it's got right i sort of know someone who's in an abba tribute band right and i've seen pictures of them and both the women are done out like Agnetta. <laughs> and that ain't fucking nah. right oh, man. No, no, that's true. i'd say some yeah. but i don't feel i know the person in question well enough to to, to just put them right mm. on it i mean it's a bit rich people having to go at freedom and looks when you look at fucking bjorn and Benny, I mean, you know, even as a kid, yes. I had a Joe Jackson-style grudge against this pair of little kind of shaved gorillas, you know, <laughs> punching well above their weight. But this song's fucking amazing, isn't yeah. it? It's yeah. like all their songs from this period. Like, the more you sort of dig into it, the more interesting it is as well. Like, the link between the music and the lyrics is really odd here. Like, the lyric is really uh, hesitant and helpless. And the music matches that. It's very sort of anxious until she starts singing about this bloke lifting her out of her rut and it rises up Mm. hopefully you know reaching out but then the chorus spills over into this creepy strident victory march uh Mm. with that triumphant trumpet which i suppose allowed people who didn't really listen to assume that this was more bright pink candy floss you know from cheery old abba uh bopping Mm. around in their comedy platform boots to no great effect rather than yeah. 
what it is which is an uneasy song about someone with no confidence surrendering to a love affair and it's accompanying terrifying loss of self-determination and putting themselves mm. in a position of complete vulnerability to their yeah. more confident and experienced lover about whom we learn nothing so it's neither no. a happy song nor a sad song nor a cheerful or a bleak scenario it's all of those because the song takes place mm. at a moment when literally anything could happen next but that ambiguity and that sort of that focus on specifically adult anxieties and neuroses is what defines this whole period of ABBA, this mid-period of ABBA, between the pure pop years and that final sort of Liv Ullman period where, mm. you know, when they tried to sound like ABBA, they'd end up sounding like ghosts. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, and I think that's particularly, um, you know, that, very, that opening, that very hesitant, very brittle opening. And I think it kind of wonderfully... Um, yeah, captures the you know the character and the sentiment of the, of the song and the kind of that delicate mood you know and it's it's um, yeah, it's excellent. I mean, I went overboard on this when we uh, covered knowing me, knowing you in the Christmas episode mm. a couple of years mm. ago. Obviously, not we didn't cover it. That might not have sounded quite as glorious. <laughs> but it's, but this middle period is when they were at their most remarkable because they could still combine that relentless angst and uncertainty with worldwide number one singles you know yeah i mean there's a clip of them playing this song name of the game on some tv show somewhere and they're still in the white judo suits and the white micro kimonos and mm. there's all these colorful <laughs> balloons being blown around in the background and everything's virginal white like a, a sixth birthday party you know and it's all massively overlit and it's because that's how you present the bubbly wholesome family act abba you know as yeah. opposed to how they were presenting themselves around this time most mm. of the time mm. on record sleeves and in videos which was all uncertain glances and yeah. and cold skies but nobody noticed mm. so yeah once again a completely worthy number mm. one and what a fucking one-two punch eh this and knowing me knowing well, you yeah, it's, a, it's a, a volley of blows around this point mm. so it's like a street fighter two combination abba in 1977 <laughs> it certainly is so the name of the game would spend four weeks at number one eventually usurped by the long winter of mulligan tire by wings Amazingly, the UK was the only country in the world that rightfully sent it to number one. Even in Sweden, it only got to number two, held off Music Fjall, that's Pop Mountain, by Yes Sir, I Can Booge, which was number one in Sweden for 22 weeks. <laughs> Eventually knocked off number one in January of 1978 by... Uh, naughty 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 by joy sarney <laughs> i remember elvis oh, presley god. by danny mirror <laughs> oh my god <laughs> fucking hell. news traveled slow in sweden <laughs> in 1977 <laughs> bloody hell abba only had three number one singles in their own country don't you know ring ring dancing queen summer night sitter 
But two of their early LPs were number one in their charts before they split the singles in the LP charts in 1975. Mm. As the bloke from Alan Duell said to me, a prophet is not without honour, save in his own country. The following month, there were so many advance orders for ABBA the album in the UK that our printing presses couldn't cope and we had to wait a month after everyone else, by which time it had sold so many copies in Poland that it exhausted their entire album allocation of foreign currency fucking hell <laughs> the follow-up take a chance on me got to number one for three weeks in february of 1978 and as we've already mentioned in 1997 the name of the game was sampled by the fujis for rumble in the jungle which got to number three in march of that month but anyway fuck the fujis abba they're back mm. sort of mm. What do we think, chaps? What are we saying? I mean, I'm, I'm really not keen, and that's not out of any sort of anti-ABBA thing. Yeah. One of the great things about ABBA is that they kind of let it lie and that they'd left it pristine. No. I didn't really like any revival. It's like when My, My Blue Valentine came back, I didn't really care for it. Um, well, the Pixies, you know, it's not even determined by people who I like or not, but I just think in their case, it's a wonderful thing. They've just absolutely let it lie. But... They mm. would not let it lie. Yeah, but well, at least they're not doing caravan poles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the support act is going to be the Smiths. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Taylor. Well, I mean, it, it sounds exactly like you would imagine the next ABBA album would have sounded if they'd made mm. one in 1983 instead of splitting up. Except if they had made one it probably wouldn't have sounded quite so retro or quite so <laughs> 1983. But I think it's quite pleasing just because, like most people, I was worried about what was going to come out. You know, I was sort of vaguely mm. expecting something like chess, but worse, you mm. know, boggle maybe. Yes. Um, <laughs> but it's not that. So good. But what creeps me out is those computerized, artificially de aged avatars that they're mm. using mm. for the live show avatars if well they're sort yeah they're sort of great and sort of horrifying on so many levels mm. because i mean they're unnerving in themselves but also the combination of of abba being presented in this kind of holographic uh necromantic kind of way coupled with mm. the the inescapable existential darkness in so mm. much of their music not yeah, not that's... King Kong song, obviously, but a lot of it. <laughs> um, and then the nostalgia element for people who are now at the end of their lives, or at least approaching yeah. that stage, which is the case for pretty much everyone who remembers ABBA. Mm. Um, you mm. put it all together, and it's it's quite a death-packed experience, you know. Like, mm. I mean, more than watching the Stones shuffling around, you know, like old pit ponies having a <laughs> laugh, you know, mm. <laughs> looking like crows. I mean, that's one thing. But, <laughs> but watching the videos of these old crocs from ABBA having their stage movements mapped and motion-captured yeah. onto these virtual PS5 versions of their younger and more beautiful selves i don't think you're supposed to find it depressing or unsettling but i think mm. almost anyone with a realistic view of life probably would and it sort of works because their best work is about this jumble of emotions and and moods but it's just that idea of of robot communion you know, I find it a bit... It's mm. like, imagine this is a real gig and we're all young together again. Mm, you know, yeah. I, I don't look at that and and only see blue skies. But obviously, when 
like I went on YouTube and I looked at all the stuff they'd put up for the reunion, all the sort of one show like celebratory interviews with them and mm. members of the pub. They, you know. In fact, it's far bleaker than that because obviously it's all framed a hundred percent as a it's a lark for the oldens and it's a yeah. camp and office party and you know hen night and all this stuff and that's all it mm. is right and of course you listen to I still have faith in you their new song it's it's not like any of that at all right there's no. absolutely none of that in it all of that bubblicious sort of ultra commercial you know hey it's really cheesy stuff mm. contrasts incredibly sharply with that song and this song yeah. you know and and yet as face and manner you know too good for this mm. world but also too weak um <laughs> yeah it's very weird i'd still like a beer with benny though even now yeah. I, t- I told you about that waiter at his hotel who was impressing upon me what a great bloke he was i can really believe it laid back but impatient with bullshit you know Mm. he's still the same and he hasn't gone any bolder despite apparently having a comb over since 1975 you know yeah Mm. but you know these are the thoughts you think when you become the kind of person who sees old clips of john noakes on blue peter and thinks blimey doesn't he look young Mm. (laughs) you know you know that's us, Abba's audience. Fucking hell. May God have mercy on our soul. Yeah. It, it, it's funny, actually, um, listening to Taylor talk about the, um, yeah, the, 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 these gigs. It's it's actually filled me now with a sort of eerie, grim fascination. I think I perhaps would like to see it for about 10 minutes. Um, you know, yeah. that 10 minutes is all I could bear, really. Because um, you do wonder if it is some sort of harbinger for the future. Yeah. yeah but there's one thing, you know, I was talking about people coming back. I make an exception for Kraftwerk or whatever, because I yeah. think that if you look at their, in, in their 70s heyday, I think they were always keen to create this total work of art, this Gesamtkunstwerk. And there just wasn't the wherewithal to do it. You know, so you've got these kind of no. crappy brown sort of stage curtains behind them as they're playing, things like that. And I think that <laughs> they, the justification for, for Kraftwerk doing what they're doing is they can present this kind of fully-fledged digital Gesamtkunstwerk with all the kind of graphics etc etc which is what they would have loved to have done if they'd have been able to back then you know if it's it's the technology being up to speed with the with the music but yeah i can just imagine though that like once the ralph footer goes that you know i can imagine crapbert carrying on as a touring proposition uh, with just sort of like you know four four chaps you know um you know, and you know, perhaps if there is a future, or if anybody cares, you know, that somebody will perhaps sort of do a replication of like the Beatles or something like that. You know, sort of using oh God, yeah. holographic, you know, sort of skewed together things. You know, um, so yeah, I mean, this could be the harbinger of like what's to come. That's up or always were. Well, that's right. I hope this episode hasn't been too much like Last of the Summer Wine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, strong resemblance, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. I'm kind of in the middle between you two because as soon as lockdown kicked in, I, I completely bunkered myself in. Mm. And you know me, I'm not exactly a, a, a boy about town, but, you know, I, I used to run into the same people over and over again. And I started mithering about the people who I used to see who didn't particularly know and, and just fretting about them, hoping that they were doing all right. I mean, in particular, there's one old woman who used to just absolutely hammer it up and down the hills of Nottingham with a shopping trolley in a floppy with all flowers on it her not the trolley Mm. i think we'd exchanged about two words to each other uh, all the time i've been here but we were on nodding terms and 
you know, I hadn't seen her for ages. And about six months ago, I was in Tesco in town, and I just turned the corner, and there she was. And I just couldn't stop myself from punching the air and going, fucking yes! Yeah. I was so delighted. It's like, yes, you're still here, Duck, well done. And that's exactly how I felt when I watched this ABBA reunion shit after I'd sat through all the Zoe Ball bollocks mm. but when they actually got to the music and I heard Frida and Agnetta's voices melding together again it was like yes yeah, they're yeah. still here fucking brilliant good on them yeah. I've got mm-hmm. no interest in, in going to, to see Robo ABBA mm. but you know I've had a bit of a thought ABBA this, all this is it's going on near you isn't it apparently oh you mean London generally yeah yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I suppose so yeah, yeah. East London well you know why don't you get your heads together mm-hmm. and put together a Brotherhood of Man puppet show as a fringe event <laughs> for people queuing up? You two could do that, and I'm only going to take 20% of it's all fine, your own. Yeah. So about that. sort of like tug a little bit of string for the kind of kick on kisses for me. Yes, tug the performative fall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See, wow. what, what I'm going to do now, I'm going to be very clever and turn up there with a Guys and Dolls puppet theatre and I oh. owe you nothing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ba- David Van Day's Abba. Yes. <laughs> yes. Beginning to grow And you make me do And you make me feel done it again the name of the game from ABBA and that's it from all of us here to all of you back home good night god bless and join us next week for another edition of Top of the Pops I saw her today I saw her face it was a face I love Pow alone once more informs us that ABBA have done it again before telling us that everyone in the studio tonight wants us, the pop-crazed youngsters at home, to be blessed by God Almighty. Before saying goodnight and leaving us with needles and pins by Smoker. We covered Smoker and this fucking single in chart music number 23. As before, it's the follow-up to It's Your Life, which got to number 5 in August of this year, and is a cover of the Searchers song that got to number 1 in February of 1964. After making an appearance on Top of the Pops before it was even in the chart, it made a modest debut at number 48, then soared 26 places to number 22. And this week, it's up four places from number 17 to number 13. Now then, chaps, me and Taylor, we've already done this, and David, this band are practically your lot, so Mm. you say something about them, and we'll sit here and learn something. Oh, smoky. I mean... Yeah, I was brought up in West Yorkshire, so I ought to have some sense of affinity and kinship and loyalty to Smokey. Mm. But I didn't. I hated Smokey because I, ha- oh, hated, I hated West Yorkshire. I hate the fact that I lived there. I was, you hated yourself, didn't you, David? Well, no, I liked myself. I was all right. It was all these all other right. northern bastards I hated, you know, with their coarse <laughs> accents and what have you. you know, and there was just something about yeah. West Yorkshire at this time. I mean, all right, I'm not necessarily very proud of feeling this way, but um, I just thought it was, like, willfully ugly. You know, it wasn't like, you know, there was just the grim lot of these working folk. It was that they actually liked this kind of mediocrity, this ugliness this churlishness and Mm. i just thought the whole place was toxic it was like a david 
peace novel, or it's like drinking out of a coal scuttle, and you know, <laughs> a used one, you know, as well. I mean, you know, and this place, Yorkshire, was not where I belonged, and Smoky, for me, they were just essence of West Yorkshire. And if they'd been mm. called Heckman Dwight, they couldn't be more West Yorkshire. <laughs> you know, and it's just, just redolent, yeah. like grim, freezing days in what was laughingly called playtime at our school. You know, this school <laughs> looked like Colditz. You know, he's standing around in a freezing circle. Everyone's hawking up and spitting into a collective puddle and swapping stories about all the sex they'd supposedly had, even though they were only about 13. And I was <laughs> stupid enough to believe them, you know. My v- virginity was a secret shame, you know. And, but just Smokey, it was like, who would want this? Whose pop dreams are made of this? The Germans, mm. apparently, but I don't know. Yeah. And also, Smokey had been the name of my cat, so the reminder that my cat was dead. Oh. Thanks for that as well. Um, <laughs> but, but, and, also, and then one of the like, respites I had, you know, so at the weekend, so there's my granddad, Seven Days Jankers, but mm. Grandma, his, his wife, she, she was hip. She was a, she'd been a flapper. She was the hippest member of my family. She'd been a flapper mm. in the 20s. She had a radiogram. I've probably mentioned this before. And yes. it was a whole stack of records, but one of them was Needles and Pins by the Searchers. And it gave me a kind of sort of silvery, slightly kind of nostalgic spite for kind of other places, other modes of being or whatever. Manchester. And then these fucking cunts, Smokey, get their fucking grubby northern West Yorkshire paws on it and desecrate that as well. You know, it was the absolute final straw. Yeah, they are the bird's eye beef burger of pop. Yeah. Smokey. So, David, what you're saying is if someone had said to you, do you like Smokey, you'd have said, no. (laughs) (laughs) Just, just about, just about. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, really, to be honest, that's, I I don't want to waste further breath on them. Oh. Terrible, despicable, awful. But you know, yeah. perhaps, perhaps that was me as well. You know, in some respects. But yeah. I, I found it hard to divine the beauty in them that others did. Did they? We don't get to see them here in their Steve Marriott on stars in their eyes demeanour. We get some kind of weird rainbow-edged pool of oil effect. Yeah, rather than the usual uh, credit sequence with a sort of drunken fly point of yeah. view. It's yeah, it's these wobbly pulsating coloured lines mm. just to you know express the the psychedelic intensity of of smoky <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like the kind of thing that mario would fall into on rainbow road yeah <laughs> on the last bit of mario car mm. but i mean we we talked for, for like 20 minutes about needles yeah. and pins by smoky last yeah. time i mean i could say it all again 19 mm. minutes mm. too much for them yeah no, <laughs> you know, let's not do that yeah I came across uh, a video on YouTube uh, the other week. Punch on the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you seen it, chaps? Oh, yeah. oh yes. An amazing BBC documentary mm. from 1976 mm. about a, a band doing the grim slog of Will Tappers and Shunter's Land. And it's it's very clear that being smoky is the absolute pinnacle mm. of this band's ambitions, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah well, yeah. It's, it's the only conceivable ambition for a yeah. band like this who want to be pop stars because nobody else has ever followed that path mm. no it's not just oh yeah playing the clubs man it's like well look first of all this is a documentary of impeccable bleakness in mm. every respect because mm. it's shot on that murky public information film 16 millimeter film yes. with speckles on it mm. you know on yeah. days with mm. no sunlight do you know where your lad is tonight yeah he's, he's <laughs> playing the red rose club in wakefield yes. um, it's 
these absolute chances. I mean, they're a show band. Mm. They're like this. Basically, they're like the sort of group that I used to see at my dad's works uh, sports and social club on a Saturday yes. night. That's what lower middle class people used to call a working men's club. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's basically a working men's club with a bowling green out the front. Um, mm. It's like when you used to buy a Rolls Royce and in the manual that came with the car, the cigarette lighter was referred to as a cigar lighter. Yes. Uh, absolutely true. Uh, yeah, it, cha- it changes your perceptions a lot, what we call things. Mm. Should have seen what it was called in the manual to the VW camper van. <laughs> but um, what, that's what they are. They're like the first group I ever saw live who were called Distinction. And they had uh, matching flared, powder blue suits and Fender guitars. These groups always played Fender guitars for some reason. And they mm. had... You know, cover they did covers of the Eye of the Tiger and <laughs> when you get caught between the moon and New York City, you know. And and at some point they'd say well, well, Arthur's theme nah. the best that you can do oh. yeah, by Chris Cross before he uh, <laughs> yeah. before he sold out and did <laughs> uh, Yes jump. <laughs> yeah. So he used to wear he used to wear his suit backwards. <laughs> yes. He also had his beard backwards as well, yes. on the back of his head. Um so distinction would do all those songs and then at some point they'd say anyway if you don't mind uh, we'd like to do one now that we wrote ourselves yeah and they'd put Aww. more passion into that than of all of their others so despite the fact that it was the worst song in this yeah set, mm-hmm. um, and punch are exactly like that they're all about 32 uh, but they look older than i do now yes and they're all married uh, yeah. and yet seized by this bizarre conviction that they might actually make it big you know mm. in 1976 uh-huh. i ask you the worst possible moment um, yeah this is it you know like <laughs> this one that's 30 married with four children and this is like well, yeah. you can't be doing this man this is ridiculous you know did you have a yeah. family meeting about this you know we don't hear what the kind of you know the poor wives think of this you know oh, they don't have a say mate no it, it's absolutely shocking uh, as long as he puts money on that table at end at week mm, mm. <laughs> the whole vibe was like that paul sykes documentary you know the boxer there's the whole thing yes. that, that's grim yeah. you know there's working men, and it's this terrible sad thing you know these poor sods these drinkers sitting there watching this stuff it's almost like a oh, kind of with arms folded hmm. it's the opening shot isn't it you see the lead singer's massive meaty head yeah yeah, yeah. in some flared white sub elvis costume mm. really trying to please an audience that are unpleasable and you get a shot from the back of the hall, well, from from the back of the club, there's the band all togged out, looking extremely 1972, mm. and they're just seeing a row of folded arms. Absolutely, yeah. You yeah. know, they get blokes coming up to them and saying, "Oh, you don't, you don't applaud me when I come out of the pit, so I'm not applauding you." Mm. <laughs> and they say right at the beginning, you know, uh, "Hello to everyone over there, yeah." Oh, and yeah. everyone well, over there, people, yeah. <laughs> and you sit back and watch us work for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's yeah, like, no. yeah, this the idea of musicianship as graft. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. that's what you get off smoker, don't you? Yeah, yeah. And obviously, people t- will talk about you know, these audiences kind of being implacable or whatever. But I also read it as a sense of just collective class, low self-esteem, and so this kind of entertainment is all we deserve. Um, yes. You know, it's, it's really, really sad. I mean, when, when Michael Rother and Klaus Dinger were in Dusseldorf in ni- 1971 or whatever, 72, and, you know, they were 
thinking about forming Noi. I mean, their primary concern is what can we do, distinction, what can we do that is actually distinctive from, you know, the conventional Anglo-American tropes and rock format, etc., etc. What what sound can we devise that is yeah. generally original and therefore gives us, you know, a particular edge? And with this lot, it's just a sort of, we play our cards right, our names could be mm. up in lights. And you know, yes. it's, it's just that, and it's just, it's horrible. Yeah, they spend their whole life inside a brown transit van <laughs> yeah. full of heavy denim mm. and mm. wire-framed spectacles and sort of flossy over the ear not quite graying yet hair Mm. just for the privilege of playing a working men's club in sunderland yeah and there's like 20 glared at 20 people there yeah yeah sat behind the four mica tables and tin ashtrays Mm. yeah with with their massive arms folded yeah (laughs) while the while punch do morning of my life by the Bee Gees, (laughs) and then have a possibly staged argument in the dressing room yes. uh, before the uh, chairman of the committee comes oh, around yes. and gives them their pay, which is 43 quid in yeah. one pound notes. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, e- even back then it didn't stretch very far, didn't that? Uh, well, they earned about £5 more than they did in the factory. Hmm. So they were up. Mm. Yeah, but not that long ago was a time when you could actually make a living as a musician without being famous. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And if you wanted to, you could live that life and cover your ass, yeah. pay for your kids' Leeds United tracksuit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, not that it seems to have uh, made them particularly cheerful. I mean, no. there's all those interview clips with them, and they just moan about how miserable their lives are. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the first thing they do when they drive up is look where the loading is. Yeah. And there's this this massive, that goes up inside the van where they realise they've got to go up some fucking steps Mm. with their amps. Yeah, yeah. Some bands Mm. nowadays have to fucking pay to to play venues like that. Well, those venues don't exist anymore. Mm. They're not getting. They're, they're not getting forty quid now. I was going to say forty three quid. That's that's yeah forty three twenty twenty one quid. Um, yeah, yeah mm. it's hard to come by. Definitely. Yeah. Another thing is that it's from an era though. If and when all of this goes tits up, they can go back very confidently into the jobs market. You know, there isn't that kind. You know, into probably yeah. fairly secure and decent jobs. You know, and they can probably. You know, they probably felt secure enough in a sense to be able to abandon all of their. The jobs that they were doing, uh, yes. you know, there's, there's no doesn't appear to be any kind of terror that you know that they once they embark on this, then there's going to be no way back for them into the um, you know into yeah. the workforce. Be a bit of disparaging banter over the lathe when they came back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Oh, here they come, Jimmy fucking Hendrix. <laughs> yeah, and that's about it, really. But this all all. In the same way that, that Punch go on about how miserable their life is, the only other thing they talk about is how hard they work for such little money, mm. which yeah. does appear to be true. But, yeah, it makes sense because that's what their music's like. It's very yeah. professional and hard-working hard work. and, and horrible and mm. wearing. It's like listening to them is like a seven-hour drive on the M1 mm. sat on <laughs> yeah. a speaker cabinet, you know. Yeah. But it's what makes you feel so bad all the way through is that it's not enough for them. They do want to be pop stars. Yeah. and But they are this very weird and nowadays unthinkable cross between rock and roll and cheap cabaret. Um, mm. And that never made it. That no. never, ever made it. These groups in their beer-soaked bar towel world, you know, like playing gigs to adults. 
<laughs> to yeah. married adults, you know, yeah. and mm. reading up bits of paper passed up to the stage, you know, like, so, well, the driver of an Austin Maxi registration yeah. number, you know, please yeah. move can, your car. Can you do Rolling Round River? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or last order's half past ten, you know, except wearing jeans. Yeah. That's all it yeah. is. And talking about being pop stars, constantly, as if they're treading this this familiar path to rock and roll glory you know they do an audition for opportunity knocks at one point which was the route for bands like that well to release one single yeah Yeah. and get on teller and get more bookings yeah yeah i suppose suppose. and chaps wouldn't you know what song they do did you notice no so you think you know how to love me by smoking i watched it the other night for about the third time and it just hit me. It's just like, hang on, I know that song. What do you know? Smoke it. Of course. Mm. Of course. Oh, That's their yeah. presentation to the world. They're just trying to drop you a hint of, like, no, no, we're not, like, just this bunch of old men in a band like you've never seen before. There, no. is, there is a precedent. Don't worry. Yeah, there's a heritage. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Got a world with two Smokies in it. Ooh. Like a world with six DLTs in it. <laughs> but this is it. Their only possible inspiration is Smokey. Yeah. You know? yeah. You have to blame Smokey for this. You do. I was just going to say, it's a, it, it's a, just a massive indictment of Smokey and their rubbishness that encourages poor, sorry, saps like this that they could make it. It doesn't seem such an unreasonable proposition if mm. arseholes like Smokey can. Yeah, giving them false hope with their yeah. wasted yeah. work ethic. You know, yeah, yeah. Perfect, really, you can't even watch it and take the piss out of them. You just think, yeah, you poor sods. I don't even think these will have been the best days of their lives. You know, mm. or, or if they were, God help them. You know, yeah. and I would imagine that at least one or two of Punch are very dead now because mm. that's how it goes. But if any of them aren't, I hope they can laugh about it. Rather yeah. than, you know, rather than telling themselves those stupid stories that 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 people invent for themselves after defeats, you know, mm. no, shake it off, embrace the cosmic joke, you know, yeah. you'll feel much worse and much better. The footage of the opportunity in Oxford audition, though, fucking hell, <laughs> it's yeah. worth watching just to see what the uh, the talent spotters on Opportunity Knox in nineteen seventy five stroke six look like. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a camp old man and a, a randy, bibulous old lady. Mm. It's exactly what you'd expect. Mm. Yes. <laughs> I mean, look, what what really sums up Punch is that one of them is called Malcolm Jagger. Yes. <laughs> I, I couldn't be any more perfect than that. His real name was Ziggy Jagger. Yes. <laughs> Anything else to say about Smokey? Obviously not, because we've talked about another band entirely for the past quarter of an hour. Yeah. So I'll just say that the following week, Needles and Pins moved up three places to number 10, its highest position. The follow-up, for a few dollars more, would get to number 17 in February of 1978, and they'd have one more top 10 hit that year before diminishing returns set in, and they split up in 1982. And although Punch did appear on Opportunity Knocks in November of 1976, there is no further record of them, and we have to conclude that they failed in their attempt to be smoker. Mm. We should get them to do a, a comeback gig supported by Renia. 
Yes, yes, on the Seen All That Glitters programme. Yeah, animatronic holograms of punch. The Renia documentary is fascinating because it, it was it was basically telling kids, you know, all being a band, but it's not going to be all glamour and getting noshed off by Brit Eklund. <laughs> Have you seen the follow-up to that? Yeah. Yeah, and they, they're, they've split up. <laughs> Yes. And they interview them and they go, oh, it was all shit. The thing was, even at their lowest point, Renia seemed to be having a better life than somebody who was working in a bike factory or something. For prog bands, there was the university and polytechnic circuit. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. For egg and chippers like Punch, <laughs> you know, there were the working men's club, but you, you could play music and be paid for it. Yeah. As long as you were happy to sit in a van for hours on end. Well, you know, and of course, music was more of a scarce resource back then. Yes. The, my, one of the things I loved the most about that documentary was the knowledge that just about 18 months later, uh, the fall were playing those places. Like, mm, yeah. just perversely choosing to play those places instead of rock clubs. Mm. You know, going out there doing Roush Rumble, <laughs> No Christmas <laughs> for John Keys, mm. as heard on the LP Total's Turns, where, mm. in fact, Marky Smith does actually have to read out a bit of paper that says, Last Orders are past ten. Um, <laughs> one of the yeah. great live albums. Yeah. And that, Pop Craze Youngsters, closes the book on this episode of Top of the Pops. What's on the telly afterwards? Well, BBC One kicks on with the first ever episode of a brand new sitcom, or should that be sitcommunism, <laughs> Citizen Smith? Then James Bolam gets involved in 1920s wheeling and dealing in Gallowsfield in When the Boat Comes In. After the nine o'clock news, Frank Cannon discovers a Chinese hatchet embedded into a snowman in the middle of the desert in Cannon. Then Omnibus covers the history of the BBC Radio Features Department, followed by an examination of child pornography in Tonight. Then it's the weather, then regional news in your area, and they close down at midnight. BBC Two is midway through the current affairs show Newsday, following it up with Chronicle, the long-running archaeology series, which pisses off to the Andes this week to take a good look at the Nazca lines. That's followed by the 1955 version of Guys and Dolls, where David Van Day, played by Marlon Brando, <laughs> bets Dominic Grant, portrayed by Frank Sinatra, that he'll be playing gigs in care homes in 40 years' time. <laughs> they round off the night with late news on two, and they close down at 25 to midnight. Oh, 1977. You just could not get away from the NASCAR lines. No. <laughs> ITV eventually gets round to K is for Kill, the latest episode of the new Avengers, where John Steed, Shaking Emma Peel and Coffee Wanker have been transported to war-torn France in World War II. Then it's Odd Man Out, the sitcom where John Inman inherits a stick of rock factory that isn't as bad as Take a Letter, Mr. Jones. Then this week, News at 10, a regional politics in your area show, what the papers say. And then we go over to the Cauliflower in Ilford for the Northern Heat of Pub Entertainer of the Year, which is hosted by Frank Carson with a special appearance by Clive Dunn. And they close down at midnight. So, boys, what are we talking about in the playground tomorrow? 
well, I'm standing in a freezing circle with a bunch of, you know, 15-year-olds now, you know, spitting into a collective mm. puddle. Um, but probably we're talking about the jam primarily, I think. The fact yeah. is, I would have actually taped everything. I do remember, in fact, having to cassette. You know, I'd got my kind of cassette mono recorded like the previous yeah. Christmas. I would have taped everything on this, this show, the Baron Knights included, and listened to that cassette over and over. So you'd be watching this in your living room? I'd have watched it in the living room, but I'd, I would have taped it off. The Tom, the Tom, no, I taped it off the Tom Brown show, you see. You know, when Tom mm. Brown did the, it was on Radio yes, 2. Yes, the, the Countdown, yeah. The Countdown on a Sunday evening. I'd have taped it all off that. And mm. I would actually listen to pretty much everything off of this. But the jam in particular, punk rock. Yeah, yeah we'd have been talking about the jam. Someone would be going, uh, my big brother's got the LP and he swears on this song. Hmm. No, wow. no, he does. Honestly, hmm. I've heard it. Yeah, you want to bet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are we buying on Saturday? This is the modern world. And and actually, heroes. I think. Mm. Yeah. I think I'd consider everything except mm. Queen, Quo, Waddy, and uh, Smokey. I suppose mm. would certainly right. have bought the BKs at the time. Yeah. Oh yeah, big fan. Though the ideal for if you were a like a, an awkward kid, you could buy a piss take record and feel fine about it. It was a joke. It wasn't about love or anything. It didn't yeah. suggest any kind of vulnerability, or it didn't suggest that you either fancied women or were gay, which were, mm. like, both really embarrassing things. So, so, yeah. <laughs> Just some old cunts have a laugh about float on. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Mm. I think, I mean, the thing about ABBA is that I, I, I like the ABBA thing, but I think I might have considered it too effeminate to buy it myself. I'd have probably had to bribe a girl you know to go in and to the store and buy it for me you know the way that you'd you know get adults to go in and get you some candelabra or whatever yeah it's mm. terribly i remember when it did, when i was 11 or 12 whenever it was uh and since yesterday by strawberry switchblade came out and i thought mm, it was right. one of the best records i'd ever heard in my life but i couldn't go and buy it because no. they, they were oh. girls and yeah. i was worried someone would think i fancied them even yeah, though yeah. i did <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and what does this episode tell us about November of 1977? I think it is very much essence of 1977, in, in, yeah. as, as far as I'm concerned, you know, across the kind of the, the, the full gamut, really. In a funny kind of way, I think there's a sort of delayed impact um, with, with punk. You know, I think that's, you know, it's really kind of um, beginning to you know, beginning to rumble around this kind mm. of time, you know, and I think that jam, you know, the jam are real kind of hard, but, but punk's kind of weird like that. Punk sort of Coming. Some people think it's, it's already over at this particular stage. Yeah. But punk had seemed to apparently come along to drive out because it wasn't necessarily um, Emerson, Lake and Palmer and Pink Floyd necessarily. No. It was the kind of slightly overblown, polished likes of Queen, ELO, ABBA, all of whom are on this um, episode, you know, and they're still very much intact. Yeah, and all of them disappeared, didn't they, by 1978? Mm. Never heard from them again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just don't get that way of thinking. I saw an interview with Genesis recently, mm. and it was like, oh, how Genesis coped with punk. <laughs> they were going on about, oh, yeah, we were really worried about punk. And I was like, like fuck you were. You know, mm. social workers and common room bores who dominated the, the record player aren't suddenly going to go, oh, look, there's this new thing. I'm not going to listen to Genesis anymore. No, no. Ridiculous. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. No, no. It's not like Jethro Tull were put on the breadline by the nipple erectors or anything like that. No. But what did happen is that a lot of these bands lost their sense of importance and relevancy and you know in terms of the way that they were perceived and i think that they did smart a bit at that but yeah also it's like i mean you can see from this 1977 is never the 1977 that people who were around in 1977 tell you it was 
you know, no. it's like there's, yeah, no Elvis, Beatles, or the Rolling Stones, but plenty of shawaddy waddy left to go around. It was, yes. it was, you, it was just a decent year for music, which happened while some other people who had nothing to do with this program were leaping around in small clubs doing something else you know mm. there was never any problem with coexistence between the no. different forms of music it's you know apologies for the grown-up long perspective there you know yeah sorry for telling the truth pop craze yeah. youngsters Stop mm. before i reach the point where we're just a pale blue dot <laughs> a moat of dust in a sunbeam uh, <laughs> so why does any of this matter but yeah you know mm. it is odd to me to think that just uh, only just a few months later i was kind of very conscious of the fact that um 1977 had been the year of like you know john martin one world suicide's first album people like perry who were kind of knocking around um even throbbing gristle you know i just became aware of that kind of whole undertow of activity of which i was completely oblivious when this episode actually went out Mm. Sweep it all away for Sid Vicious's version of Come On Everybody. Yep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I just saw punk at this point as like, you know, just some other sort of, just something that was joining the general party, you know, come along. Mm. You know, there's a party going on. The Baron Knights are there. She Waddy Waddy are there. Abba are there. The Jan are there, you know, it's just all yeah. part of the same pop party. Yeah, a punky reggae party, mm, if you yeah, will. Yeah. Yeah. Without the reggae, because there isn't any in this episode. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> and that, me dears, is the end of this episode of Chart Music. Usual promotional flange website www.chart-music.co.uk facebook.com slash chart music podcast reach out to us on twitter at chart music t-o-t-p money down the g-string patreon.com slash chart music thank you david stubbs and thank you al god bless you taylor parks cheers everyone i hope you've enjoyed this half as much as i have <laughs> my name's al needham and i don't give two fucks about your review <laughs> Unless it's five stars on iTunes, please. <laughs> Thank you. Chart music. Great big Hello, ladies and gentlemen, quickly, quickly, we haven't got long. Please listen to the all-new Angela Sandberry podcast. It's a family one. Oh, my God, it's hilarious. There's so much muck in it. This is a test. For the next 60 seconds, the station will conduct the test. Of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. The broadcasters of your area in voluntary cooperation with the FCC.
David Stubbs. Rock expert David Stubbs. Rock expert David Stubbs. Rock expert David Stubbs. Bringing you a hard-driving mix of hard rock and hard facts. Today, I want to talk to you about the daddies of them all. That's right. Jeff Wayne and his merry men, the Electric Light Orchestra. With me as my guest is a young lady who blotted a copybook last time out. Her name's Alicia. Got a little sassy. Got a little wise. Well, she begged me, begged me to give her a second chance. And so I thought to myself, what would ELO's Jeff Wayne do? I think he'd be magnanimous. So I'm giving her that chance. What do you have to say to that, Alicia? Thank you from the bottom of my heart, rock expert. This is the happiest day of my life. Damn right it is. Well, Alicia, I'm going to fill you in on the Electric Light Orchestra. Lay some hard facts on you. If you were Yorkshire-born, you'd say, E-L-O, I never knew that. Oh. You come in there. Laughter. Brackets. No, no, you're supposed to... Never mind. Ruin the joke. He's a rolling, a rocking, a rocking, a rolling rock expert, David Stubbs. Why were yellow important? Because Jeff Wayne saw rock and roll music, and he saw classical music, and he thought... I am going to mix the two. No one in rock had ever thought to do. Jeff Wayne was the first. Len? No, Jeff. ELO were iconic pioneers, doing something that had what never been... What about the Beatles? Huh? Huh? All you need is love. That doesn't count. That was after 1966. They didn't know what they were doing then. No, ELO were the first. The very first to mix rock and classical music. It was unheard of. Perhaps the finest example is their iconic hit single, Roll Over Beethoven, catalogue number CH56. What about Six. Deep Purple? Huh? Deep Purple, concerto for a group and orchestra. Me and my friends listen to it all the time. All right, this is bogus. You've ruined the catalogue number readout. It's the most important part of the show. Little lady, you are out of here. Join me next time when I won't be hassled by some error-prone, know-nothing chick who thinks the lead singer of the Electric Light Orchestra was called Lynn Wayne. <laughs> Women's lib. I'm embarrassed. Embarrassed. Catch you later, folks. Meanwhile, take it away out. Rockin' and rollin', rollin' and rockin', rockin' and rollin' and rockin'! If you want to hear more from me, rock expert David Stubbs, Subscribe to me on YouTube, address HTTPS, full colon, slash, slash, www.youtube.com, slash, watch, question mark, V, equals, QKLEH, dash, OOFD, 8M percent T, equals 134S. Idiots. I heard that. All right, chaps, I promised... And now I'm about to deliver. Hey. From the book Starlust by Fred Vermoral. It reads as follows. And uh, yeah, if you're having your tea or you're a bit squeamish, um, turn off now. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Stephen. I am 16 years old and I am a homosexual. 
After reading your advertisement, I decided to write and tell you about my secret sexual fantasy. It is with Bruce Foxton of The Jam, (laughs) and it is as follows. I attend a modern comprehensive school, and I always imagine going to the toilets during the lessons and finding Bruce there, facing the wall, apparently having a piss, dressed in black trousers, grey jumper, shirt and tie. Anyway... As I have always liked Bruce Foxton, that sexy-looking fifth former, I decided to stand next to him to get a good look at his prick. As I do, I realise that he is wanking himself. And what an ace dick he has. It is seven inches long with a big red knob, and I can see his brown hairs peeping through. Having good fun, I say to him... (laughs) Yeah, there's nothing like a fucking good wank, is there? (laughs) At this, he walks over to the door and said that we'd better lock it in case anyone came in. Wouldn't want our wanking session disturbed, would we? He said as he walked across the floor, dick in hand, until he rested against the wall and continued wanking. (laughs) By now, my naughtinge prick is rock hard, and I was enjoying a great wank. Facing Bruce, I watched him slowly pull his foreskin back and forth, revealing his lovely moist red knob. (laughs) Bruce started moving his blazer pocket and brought out a pack of cigs. He handed me one, and we both had a smoke and a chat whilst wanking off. (laughs) After a while, he says, Oh, balls, I'm going to have to take these bloody things off. They're aggravating me to death. And so he quickly pulls his trousers off, revealing his long, masculine legs. (laughs) Then he takes the undies off, and everything he had showed. His long, seven-inch cock stood upright, just waiting to be sucked. In between his legs were a massive pair of really fleshy balls. The largest balls I'd ever seen. And then his dark, bushy, brown prick hair. He was fantastic. It wasn't long before we were both completely naked. He turned round for a minute, revealing his bum. It was ace. It was smooth as silk and just the right size. I felt him slip down my body and take hold of my cock. He moaned softly as he gave my dick an expert sucking. After a few minutes, he withdrew and licked his lips. He sat on the floor, legs open, and said, It's your turn now. I opened my mouth and put his balls inside. His balls were so big, really a mouthful. Then I pulled away and started to kiss his knob and suck at the beautiful thing. Well, yeah, it was um, veggie sausages and dumplings for tea for me tonight, but I think that's off. Well... He was now so excited I could feel his spunk ready to shoot out, so I decided to let him bum me, (laughs) as there is nothing better than someone shooting their load into your bum. So I told him, and I kneeled down while he got behind me and slowly guided his weapon in. 
When after some lovely forcing he was finally up there, he started to let my bum wank him off. Until finally, I felt the spunk shoot up, and I heard him moan in sheer ecstasy. You see, when uh, when Bruce came, he leapt in the air and went, yes. <laughs> That was my secret sex fantasy with Bruce Foxton. I hope you enjoyed reading it. And then Peter Powell came out of the toilet and said... Hey! <laughs> <laughs>